Many people, especially in rural communities, view Karl Marx as an enemy of the people and the devil. The Communist Manifesto is a satanic bible to them. The problem is, they don't realize it, but the writing of Karl Marx is exactly why America became one of the greatest nations on earth. Now, just a little backstory on myself so I don't come off as some smug academic elite condescendingly talking down to you. I was born and raised in the middle of rural Indiana, homeschooled in a Christian conservative family of six with a stay-at-home mom and a dad who worked for the post office. I went to church every Sunday, everything I had was a hand-me-down or use. I trod hours through woods and fields with cows, helped put up hay and drove two pickup trucks in high school as I had to drive a half hour on winding roads to get anywhere. I've worked for pretty much everything I have since I was 15, and I've only been unemployed at the height of the recession multiple times to a point that I wasted a year's worth of my life unemployed, and I'm still feeling the financial pain of it, like many of you. I also served as an enlisted member of the U.S. Navy to pay for my college. What I was taught about communism was that it was an ideology that promoted replacing God with an all-powerful, liberty-hating state, which was built as an idealistic idea that sounded good on paper because everyone would work hard based on their abilities and everyone would get the same thing. It was an idea pushed by liberal elites to undermine freedom and liberty and the libertarian ideal of America we lived in, and thanks to the welfare state, which was just communism light, the country was going to hell in a handbasket as people are inherently lazy, greedy, and selfish. Because of this, the idea of reading the Communist Manifesto just sounded like a stupid waste of time from a godless liberal heathen. Well, this is where I ask you to please put aside anything you think you know about communism and look at the arguments of the Communist Manifesto with fresh, curious eyes. Not to believe in it, but to understand the mindset behind it and why it spreads so strongly around the world as an alternative to capitalism. Spreading most strongly by hard working class people like yourselves until the mid-1900s. There are several major flaws in the manifesto due to limited research on psychology at the time that we will discuss that sadly naturally led to all surviving communist governments to be oppressive totalitarian regimes. They also all went with planned economies, which wrecked the democratically elected communist Chilean government, which gave Pinochet an opening to seize power and replace it with fascism. To start out, let's go back to the early 1800s, where it all began. The first industrial revolution was completely changing the world, moving us from millennia-long feudalism to mercantilism in less than a century. Adam Smith had published his book on the wealth of nations, which was the framework for capitalism. That rapidly replaced mercantilism in about a half a century. But there were serious problems with industrialism and capitalism that people including Adam Smith himself addressed in both The Wealth of Nations and his favorite but lesser known book, The Treatise on Morality. And that is that people were losing their jobs and livelihoods at a breakneck rate. The Luddites, craftsmen who were losing their livelihoods to water and wind-powered machines and centralized wealthy-owned labor collectives, used violence against the machines because the benefits weren't spread out to everybody. Instead of everyone being good at a craft, each person in the collective factory was doing repetitive assembly line labor much more efficiently, quicker, and cheaper than proud craftspeople which also required much less skill and people making those proud craftsmen and guild members uncompetitive in the market. Since they no longer needed skilled labor, they would hire people and pay them a fraction of what the craftsmen who own their own labor would have earned. With this explosion in unemployed people caused by increased efficiency requiring less labor to compete in the same task, 
and the organizations like guilds that protected them destroyed by the destruction of these jobs, every time they'd figure out how to organize and protect their industry and get paid a decent amount, some new technology would come along and destroy their jobs, making their organization useless. Communities would be torn apart, and they had to move away to find work when a factory became the only source of jobs, also referred to as a monosony, where there is a single buyer of goods in an area, in this case labor. Old Money owned factories and began organizing mechanization. There was a complete imbalance in the power of labor and shortage of jobs. Most of the work in the area was owned by one individual, and if you wanted to be paid more or didn't want to work for that individual, you were completely out of luck. Imperialism and classism was massive in Europe at the time. Everyone in Europe knew their place. You could almost never move up from the bottom rung. Your family was a work structure, and men owned their wives and children. There is a current belief among rural people that before government started intervening, there was a lot more prosperity. Big government is the problem, and people should be free to work as they choose. They often trust companies and business leaders over government. They fail to realize that our founding fathers were incredibly anti-corporations. The East India Company pretty much owned most of Parliament, which was the other major cause of the Boston Tea Party, besides taxation without representation, that so many are conveniently oblivious to. It was the fact Parliament allowed a monopoly from the biggest version of corporations at the time that really ticked them off about tea. After the Constitution was ratified, states only let businesses that were run and owned by more than two people to be run by a year-to-year -year charter passed by state Congress, and they could only trade in one commodity. Therefore, all labor was an agreement between two or three people, employer and free employee. They were both on equal playing fields. If a person didn't like working for a person, they could easily move on. If an employer didn't like a worker, they could fire them. This was completely different from what was happening in Europe. Enter Karl Marx, born in the early 1800s. He began seeing the major problems with the European system. He also saw both the pros and cons of this new automation system. Capitalism, mercantilism, and automation were tearing up centuries-old agreements and social structures, which he viewed as very good. But it was also killing off all the defenses people had to protect themselves, their jobs, and their livelihoods. Guilds were getting damaged, jobs were dying, as machines could crank out dozens of products in the same time an individual could make one by hand. People would then work hard, come together as a community, demand better wages for their labor, fighting hard at the threat of life and limb. They would win and get their demands, then a new machining practice would come along and kill their jobs, requiring even less skill in workers, collapsing all the prior deals, decimating the prior community, and require the hard, arduous process to repeat. Marx saw this cycle increasing in speed exponentially, of which he was incredibly correct. He saw automation as a wonderful thing for humanity, but he also saw most of its benefits only going toward the very wealthy off of the backs of laborers. America was exempt of this, but then it had slavery, which had an even more extreme economic imbalance overall. In 1849, just a decade before the American Civil War, he and his fellow communists met in London as free speech was not allowed in Germany at the time and drafted and signed the Communist Manifesto, which changed the face of the world forever. What the manifesto actually says. It starts out extolling the virtues of automation, as well as capitalism, but also points out the serious problems stated earlier. His solution to fix this was to give the means of production to the laborers themselves, so they could get the benefits of the labor as opposed to the super-rich, or the royalty especially in Europe. How this is accomplished and organized varies on a massive scale, as many have determined different ways to do this. 
This branched off into socialism, either through democratic socialism, which was against private property or corporations, or social democracy, which was for private property, but a regulated free market with safety nets so that failure could happen, which is a required bedrock of capitalism. Mutualism, which was a system that involved turning corporations into worker-owned co-ops. Communism, which involved having the state own all the means of production, setting up communes or Soviets that would rule by democracy to elect representatives further up to unify them, and perhaps even destroying the market as we know it, and having everyone get the same and own almost nothing regardless of their output, and organize a powerful central government around said communes. There was also anarchism, which took all of communism even further and got rid of the central government entirely. Mutualism is considered by many more a branch of anarchism than socialism or communism, but it's hard to define them all. He was also incredibly anti-slavery, pro-gender equality, and anti-family, which if you remember, the family was a hierarchy, not the loving, much more equal unit we view it now today. Wife and children were no longer viewed as property as they were during his time, except among the extremely religious, something he viewed as the opiate of the masses that kept them contented enough not to pull themselves out of poverty through organizing and to prevent them from rising up and being political. Some branches of the Catholic Church took his critique of religion and developed liberation theology, a study Pope Francis was heavily influenced by. Flaws in the Manifesto In his later works, he discussed many ways to achieve communism or socialism with the current government. Some were peaceful and political, which he personally advocated, using democracy to move them toward a more equal society. However, he referred to communism as a constant revolution, meaning you could never, ever, ever stop being politically active. However, the manifesto itself really only listed violence as a way to bring about change, as American and French revolutions were the only examples of changing government from a monarchy they had at the time and didn't have a non-violent movement to fall back on as evidence. Marx regretted this for the rest of his life, as so many communists and anarchists ended up using violence way more than he deemed necessary in nations where some democracy was making progress and they would, in his opinion, damage their message by causing acts of terrorism. Little did he know just how much violence would play out in his name. The document had two other major flaws, that, had he better classified or been less naive, could have led to a lot less violence and bloodshed. First off, he believed in human rights and democracy, though believed that the current representative democracies were not very democratic, and a way to placate the masses so the wealthy could keep more of their money. Rights that currently make up the Bill of Rights in the U.S. Constitution was a great thing, and was the entire point of attempting to reach a more equal society. He seemed to have thought that this was just a given and didn't really put it in his manifesto, and when dogmatists came to power, this belief of his was tossed into the dustbin and human rights went out the window. On top of this, he naively praised the idea of a super-powerful state a little too much, and dogmatists used his words to shut up any dissent against the state. No one had ever seen a strong, powerful state before that provided for every aspect of your life, so he talked about it way too naively. American Exceptionalism America was an interesting story that broke much of the mold of the rest of the European nations. Thanks to their suppression of corporations and moneyed elite, people owned their own labor. And by people, I meant white men. All the super wealthy moneyed elite instead owned slaves, stole native lands to keep the white men happy so they wouldn't team up with the black slaves and overthrow the wealthy elites, and women and children were property. Socialists and communists in America were mostly just radical first-wave feminists and abolitionists until the times of the trusts, and that's when things turned on its head. The Second Industrial Revolution in America Around the time of the Civil War, the government began investing heavily with private contractors to make enhanced rifle technology to help in defense. 
One of the groundbreaking rules we had is that if you had a government contract, you couldn't patent anything. You had to make your design free to the world. Technology exploded at a massive pace, and from this, standardized replaceable parts took the world by a storm. From this, rifle technology, sewing machines and bicycles, and many, many other products dropped exponentially in price. This, along with the steam engine, kicked off the second industrial revolution, and the rules the founders set up to protect us from corporations were eroded over the next few decades until the rubber barons owned a majority of everything. It started with trusts and then evolved into monopolistic and monosonistic corporations. While many found good jobs that took them from subsistence farming into a better income, cycles were boom and bust, and when a business had eaten up an area's ability to support itself without business, the businesses, be it manufacturing, mining, textiles, or non-farming labor, the company could demand whatever it wanted from the workers 12 to 14 hours a day every day, other than perhaps a brief Sunday off. Safety was an afterthought at best. Losing digits, limbs, black lung, cave-ins were all very common in this new hell known as the Industrial Revolution, and people at the bottom had no way out. The company stores were created, where you were not paid in money, but company store credits, who had a monopoly on goods, so they jacked up the prices. If you had any debts, you couldn't leave as they would hunt you down and put you back to work, never getting out of debt to them. It was the new slavery that cared nothing about race. It was because of this that rednecks, hicks, people of the earth, and salt of the land and backbone of America found the writings of Karl Marx so compelling. Much like rural folk throughout the world, why should this robber baron get the benefits of the sweat of their labor? They could organize as a collective and do the same job without some fat cat at the top sucking them dry. Before, they could have one-on-one -on -one negotiating power over their labor. Now there was a multi-level organized business, and each person in the layer had interest to keep the labor as cheap and controlled as possible. So next time, we will discuss unions, their rise, and their inevitable decline in the United States. Marx's impact on political philosophy is why he is still viewed very highly in much of Europe, including having many streets named after him in democratic countries, such as Germany, even if all of this was expunged from the American consciousness.